This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Excited about this season that God has put in front of us. Uh, We've been eagerly uh, looking forward to life groups uh, starting, so my heart is overjoyed about that. Uh, I know in between life groups, in between the two seasons that we have, uh, from when the uh, spring life groups end and the fall life groups again begin, we have this gap that we do community groups. And this year we didn't do community groups. And uh, man, it's just been such a void. And it's a joy to, uh, for us to actually kickstart life groups uh, again. And I appreciate you, Eric. And Sonia was actually leaning over to me and saying, Eric, just, just preached your whole message uh, amen. And, and that's exactly what I was about to preach about. And the, the Holy Spirit has an amazing sense of humor and a sense of confirmation. Amen. That God says, hey, this is what I want you to preach. Uh, I am taking a break from the gospel according to Matthew. Uh, and uh, we are uh, going to just study or, or it's going to give me an opportunity to uh, be a pastor this week and teach uh, about the essentials of what it means to be a church. Uh, are we good with that? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to teach for a little bit this morning. Uh, <clears throat> uh, you remember uh, that time when Jesus finished washing his disciples' feet? Uh, there was this time that Jesus was engaging his disciples and uh, having this amazing meal with them. And uh, they, they were just about to recline. Uh, they were about to just have a good time chatting, uh, getting to know each other more deeply, so on and so forth. And in the middle of that, Jesus, they were reclining, and Jesus decides to have a heart-to-heart with them. Uh, he, decides, he decides to have a come-to-Jesus moment uh, with them. And uh, it's amazing because uh, it was not expected. It was kind of like a curveball that was thrown at the disciples. It was a very uh, less expected surprise that Jesus was about to break in front of them. It, was, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't something that they expected. And out of nowhere, Jesus looks and he makes a statement. And he says, one of you will betray me. Right after the washing of the feet. He has loved on them. He has showed them what servitude means. He has uh, shown them what the epitome of love and friendship and uh, what the epitome of Christian servitude should be. And as soon as that expression of love is communicated, it is followed up with a shocking, rather uh, shocking message that Jesus sends out that has caused ripples amongst the disciples. And the statement is simple. It's meant to add shock factor to it. And the statement is, one of you guys that I just washed, one of y'all are going to betray me. And there's confusion that erupts. The people are looking around. People are looking at each other. And uh, they're like, who is Jesus talking to? So if you will allow me to have a heart-to-heart moment, an honest moment, I want to have that moment right now as I give you some statistics. Statistically speaking, in the next two to three years, there are some of y'all that are sitting over here if you're married. Statistically speaking... Statistically speaking, over the next two or three years, some of your marriages will have broken up. And uh, you, because of the, the, the separation or because of the divorce that has happened, and because of the shame that is caused to you, you will probably leave the church. Three of you will probably have a conflict with someone in the church, and you will leave the church. One of you will have a tragedy and you will probably lose all faith in humanity, in God, in community, and in the church. Two will have a moral failing or more will have a moral failing and you'll leave. Two will lose interest in church and you will drift away. Church will probably not be relevant to, to many people. And I expected this dead silence in this room as you look shockingly at me and saying, Pastor, how dare you say those things? And again, I say, statistically speaking, this is bound to happen inside of the church and in our communities. I'm sure the disciples in the same way were inclined to say, surely not me, Lord. You definitely are not talking about me. You're definitely not talking about my family. 
But I want to encourage us as a church, this is where we need to keep our eyes open. We need to guard ourselves. This is where the church needs to be the church. We need to wake up. And we have to ask ourselves the essential and crucial question, what is the mission of the church? I want to title my message today, Between Sundays. Between Sundays. What is the mission of the church between Sundays? I want to contest this morning that the church was born in the upper room and this idea of church was not something that was instituted to be constrained to a Sunday morning experience. In fact, back then, it was not a Sunday morning. There were different days of the week that people met. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 to 47, we are introduced to this idea of church and what the mission of the church looked like. My question today is what happens in authentic community? What is supposed to happen in Christian community? What is the church supposed to do? What is our mission? The mission of the church is not Sunday morning. If you are only confined to a Sunday morning worship experience and your Christianity is defined by what happens in your life on a Sunday morning, you are not living out the potential of the Christian, of the believer, of the church. The mission of the church is what happens between two Sundays. The mission of the Christian is accomplished between today and between next Sunday. What happens between the rest of the week? The relationships that are built. The amount of tables we sit at. The amount of people that we pour into and the amount of people that we allow pour into us. In Acts chapter 2, we're kind of given a glimpse into what the church should look like and did look like in the New Testament time. So I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And as we read a few verses, I want you to kind of just turn your attention to these, this passage as we will kind of break it down and understand what the mission of the church is. Verse 41, the Bible says this, So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added to the day about 3,000 souls. I want to remind somebody here today. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus, it is so important to follow the decision up with the decision of being baptized. Am I talking to somebody? This is not something that you mess around with. It's not something you play around with. It is a commandment of Jesus that Jesus said, be baptized. There's, there's, a, there's a staunch commandment of Jesus in that. Baptism is obedience. Baptism is not whether you and I will go to heaven or not. Baptism is really grounded in whether or not you are obedient to Christ or not. Am I talking to somebody here? This is important for us. And I want to encourage those of you here, if you have a relationship, if you've been attending church, if, you have, if you've been a part of church, if you've listened to messages and sermons, there's nothing that should hold you away from being baptized. Because that is becoming one with Christ. It's looking at Christ and saying, yes to Jesus. I got to move on. And then they were added to that, that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There was learning involved. And fellowship. There was loving involved. Someone say learning and loving. To the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know what the problem with the mission of the church is? They want to get to verse 47 without going through verse 41 to 46. The problem with the church is we want to reflect numbers and we want to reflect how many people showed up and we want to reflect how many people got baptized and how many, all that's important and the scripture talks about all those numbers. But it doesn't delineate from the fact that verse 41 to 46 is so important and it is the basis and the groundwork for 47 to happen. 
Commission Church, we should never dare to ask God to grow our church and grow our community if we cannot do 41 to 46 right. I want to challenge us today. This church itself that we're talking about in Acts chapter 2 was born in the same upper room where Jesus met and prayed for his life group. I'm talking about life groups today. I'm talking about discipleship today. If you've been through Grow Track, you understand and you know that we lay a lot of emphasis on discipleship. If you haven't gone through Grow Track, Grow Track is our three-step on-ramp. It's a one-day class right after service. Eric talked about it. We're going to have it. Is it next Sunday? Next Sunday, right after service, we're going to have Grow Track. You might be new here. It might be a second Sunday. Doesn't matter, right? If you want to get plugged in and call a church your home, get plugged in. We go through... We go through this in, 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 in not in the entirety of what I'm going to speak about today, but we're going to talk about the importance of discipleship. The vision of our church is the Great Commission to go, to go ye therefore into all the world, and we cannot send unless we are equipped. And what we do, the mission of the church from Sunday to Sunday is equipping the saints to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. And, and, and I want to be very honest with you, this is a pastoral moment. If you do not have that thirst, you don't have that hunger. You don't have that yearning in your heart to fulfill that vision. Like Eric said, there's probably another church with a different vision for you. This church is about reaching the lost. And that means in your communities, in your workplaces, in your college campuses, your neighbors. We're going to talk a little more about that. But unless and until you are fulfilling that call on a regular basis... You are not fulfilling the vision of the church, the mission of the church. 50 days after his resurrection on the day of Pentecost, more, it's, that day is more like the American Thanksgiving of sorts. The very first church was born as the Holy Spirit came down on this congregation, this life group of 120 people that were crowded into the upper room. Peter preaches this message, this sermon, and we learn that 3,000 people repented, were baptized, and added to the church. Let me tell you, 3,000 came at once, but 3,000 couldn't have come at once unless the church was doing verse 41 to 46 effectively. What is the mission of the church? What happens in authentic community? I want to give you eight points real quick, and we're going to pray. In these beautiful seven verses, we are introduced to eight things that the church did proficiently. And number one, what the church did was they submitted themselves, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Studying the Word of God and being taught the Word of God and teaching the Word of God and learning the Word of God is of essential importance to the Christian and to the believer. I want you to listen very clearly. It is important to learn the Word of God. Sadly, a lot of people in church have this one checked off. If you're sitting over here today, you have this checked off. If you are listening to the word today, you have this thing checked off. But sadly, a lot of people think that church is all about just coming on a Sunday, worshiping, listening to a good message, writing down some notes, and going back home. But the important thing is for us to understand this is that's the first and foremost thing, but that's not the end. Unless we have the word of God in our hearts, faith will not be built, and we cannot live our faith out. See, last Sunday we studied that. Faith comes through hearing the Word of God. So yes, that's important, but you and I will not be able to live out our faith, exercise our faith, practice our faith, unless and until we allow the Word of God to do something in our hearts Monday through Saturday. Am I devoting time? And the Bible says devote. Someone say devote. The, the meaning of the word devote is set apart. How many of you set apart time in the day for different things in your life. Eric, I know, sets apart an amount, in, uh, amount of time in his day to go cycling. He, he loves his bicycle. He will go, how many miles do you cycle? Seven miles on a good day. I don't even want to know what it is. If that's, if that's a good, I'm, I'm like sitting here with zero miles. I'm talking to somebody, so he's, like if I go around the room, there are a lot of you that devote your time to different things. Can I just hear stuff that you devote your time to? Come on, anybody? Jim, somebody said Jim. I can't identify with you, but sure. Anybody else? Work, you devote time to work. Anything else? Basketball, someone said, ba Sean said basketball, that's good. Anybody else devote your time to different things? 
Family, that's good. Anybody else? Brushing your teeth, that's, oh, oh. food, 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 okay. So I, I thought that was like brushing. That, I hope brushing your teeth is important. Yeah, that's there. Food, eating, yeah, that's important. We religiously have a schedule. What is that, Pastor Beverly? Bible study. Okay, Bible study, prayer. Finally, Bible study and prayer came. Okay, good. There are people in this church, unlike me, who started a, a Bible plan to read the whole Bible throughout the year. I started it with you guys, and I stopped. And so many, so many of you guys have continued. I am calling myself out. I'm calling myself out here. Okay, life got the better of me. But there are people that I see commenting on that plan. Day after day, you de dedicate, you devote your time. Devoting means anything that is important to you and that matters to you, you will make time for. Am I talking to somebody? And the Bible says there are various things that the apostles and the, the early church devoted, that someone said devote. It's important. The, the things that you devote your time to, man, those things change you. Those things, if you go to the gym day after day, you will not look like me. You will look fit. You will look polished. You will look like Eric. If you bicycle every day, man, you're going to look awesome. Am I talking to somebody? Like what you are devoted to, if you're devoted to the study of your word, it will reflect in your life. If you're devoted to prayer, I can see a prayer warrior from a mile away. I can see the anointing upon their life. I can see the Holy Spirit power upon their life. What you devote your time to, if you devote your time to Netflix, hours and hours in the day, it will reflect. I got to go on before, you, before I lose you. The Bible says they devoted themselves to the teaching of the Word of God. It's important to receive the Word on a Sunday morning, but what do you do with the Word? I know families in here that actually take the Word. They take notes and they sit down with their families through the week and they talk about the message. They talk about the sermon. I am encouraged when parents will send me a picture of their kids studying the same passage. This last week I got a message from a parent saying, hey, my kids are studying about faith. We're, we're studying about the same passage that was preached. It was so, so, so encouraging to me as a pastor when families are engaged in studying of the Word. So studying of the Word is important. I got to go on. But the second thing they discipline themselves to is fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Just as much they found time to study the Word, they found the time, they set apart the time, they devoted the time. They said nothing else happens during that time. Come on, am I talking to somebody? Nothing else happens during the time that we have to have fellowship. Not fellowship with your wife, not fellowship with your family. That's important. But fellowship with other believers. Verse 44. Go to verse 44 with me. This is what it says. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. All the believers. Not some of them. The Bible doesn't say the introverts were not, in, the extroverts got together. Yeah. The ones that loved being around people got together daily and they were devoted to fellowship. Come on, am I talking, is, is, is that what it says? No, it's, it doesn't say that. And it shows me this. To not be involved and participate in the local church from Sunday to Sunday is in direct contradiction to God's desire for community. Allow me to be a pastor. This is not a message that you guys are going to be screaming, that you guys are going to be like, pastor, preach, pastor. We're taking down notes. You're probably not going to take down notes today. Some of you are probably tuned out already today. But I got to preach this message because the word translated fellowship is this Greek word koinonia. The word literally means community. It means partnership. It means household. It means people coming together, putting their differences aside and saying we will will to make sure that we have things in common. But brother, we just don't, we don't look like them. We don't, we're not in the same socioeconomic background. We're, we don't speak the same language. We're not the same culture. Uh, pastor, we just don't have the same interests. We just don't see eye to eye on different things. He's a Democrat. I'm a Republican. Come on. There are so many things that you will find different about yourselves inside the church. But the Bible said all believers came together and found common interests. They didn't quip, they didn't complain, they didn't say we don't have anything in common. They said, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
See, believers are supposed to be set apart, not be influenced by the likings and the, the dislikes of the world and the affinities of the world. Once you say yes to Jesus, there are things that you put on that you look at other believers and be like, man, we all are in this together. Genesis 2 verse 18, the Bible says this, the Lord said it is not good, someone say it's not good, for man to be alone. It's not in God's design. Our design is to be in relationship, whether you like it or not, whether you like talking or not, whether you like pouring your hearts out or not, whether you like people pouring their hearts, hearts out or not. Your design is to be in relationship. Man, you, you and I do that. Parents do that. Man, we use loneliness as punishment. Go to your room. Go to timeout. Justin and Shireen have a dog. We went to visit their home the other day and uh, he was like running around crazy, rambunctiously. And Justin looked at him and said, go to the corner. Cute little dog. And he just scampered to the corner and just stood over there. And I was like, oh man, so much discipline. That's awesome. But why? Because he was misbehaving and, 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 and Justin was like, I want you to go stand in the corner. And as soon as he stood in the corner, he was just fine. And that's what we do. We, 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 separation and loneliness talks about punishment. It doesn't talk about good things. When you tell your children to go and stand in the corner, go tell your children to go into timeout, or, or you tell your spouse to go sleep on the couch, you tell your kid that they're grounded, or you tell them no social media or no phones. Like even in jails, they have this, this, this exclusive cell called solitary confinement. And the, and, and the goal of that is, man, when you are by yourself, that is punishment. I can go through verses and verses in scripture that will tell you it's not good to be alone. That you are prone to be, to be a prey to animals that are going to come and devour you when you lead yourself astray. God wants you to be in community. God wants you to be with others. The basic need of every human being is to be with others. Oh, brother, that's why I'm my wife. That's why I'm my husband. That's why I have my three kids. No, 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 no. We're, we're talking about more than that. We're talking about more reach than just your family because we know they all get on your nerves. We need some people to calm you down. We need some people to keep you level-headed. We need some people to speak life over you. Someone once said that the power of the pack is the wolf and the power of the wolf is the pack. God's power is revealed through you, through the community that surrounds you. You require other people. Leonard Kamer is the one that said this, uh, a human species is the only species that cannot survive alone. Human beings need other human beings. Before I was married, I thought that I was the best person in the world. Everybody likes their loneliness. Everybody likes their bachelorhood. But the moment somebody comes into your life, man, you're humbled way too quick. Proverbs 18 verses 1 and 2 says this, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. But verse 24, the Bible says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There are people that intentionally isolate yourselves. Why? Because you have your own desire. There's your own way of life. There's your own thinking. You don't want anybody to alter it. You don't want anybody to change it. You don't want anybody to influence it. You don't want any, anybody else to pour into it. You are beyond correction. You are beyond change. And, and the Bible says that kind of person rages out against judgment. So the moment somebody says, hey, you, I, I think you can do this better, or I think this is what the Bible says that you should do, man, that's it. They're mad. They're upset. They're angry. That church is full of fake people. Do not judge me. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only expressing his opinion. Have you been around somebody that just talks and talks and talks and doesn't allow you to talk? They have their own opinion and they don't want anybody else's opinion. Yes, no. <laughs> Some of, you, some of you are looking at your spouse like really intently right now. They don't want to hear what anybody else, my opinion, my suggestions, my voice, my, my way, or the highway. There's nothing. Mm. But so many of you go through seasons of isolation because of what's happened in the past. 
It's probably a relationship hurt. It's probably because of rejection. It's probably because of physical ailment. Like, why should I be vulnerable anymore? Right? They, they rattle in their own castle. They want their own thing. They, as long as they can feel, their own, feel good in their own little bubble, they're good because everybody in this world has disappointed me. Everybody in this world has put me down. And because of that, I, wanna, I don't want to be vulnerable anymore. Fellowship is messy, y'all. Jesus didn't say fellowship is the best thing that's going to ever happen to you. Jesus didn't say as soon as you get into fellowship, your life will be 100% better. It's a messy business. Jesus speaks about the people he came to redeem. You know what the Bible, what Jesus says his mission was? Here you go. This is, what, this is who Jesus came for. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me to proclaim the gospel and the good news to the pure, poor. He has sent me, listen, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from the captives and release from darkness for the... This is who Jesus came for. And in fellowship, you're going to find people like this. They're not going to have it all together. They're going to talk more than you. They're going to have crazy lives. They're going to have messy lives. They're going to have issues and you're like, man, I just don't need another person with issues in my life. But what if, what if God has put you in that community so that you can be the light of the world to them? What if, you, what if God has chosen you and your life to be instrumental in their restoration? Then some of the other people are like, man, if life, life groups is important and community is so important, why doesn't the New Testament talk about it explicitly? The Bible, I, had, I have no verse that says, go to life groups. You want verses? Here you go. You ready for this? Galatians 6.2, bear one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, build one another. Romans 12.15, weep and rejoice with one another. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another. Ephesians 4.32, forgive one another. 1 Corinthians 12.26, suffer with one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another. 1 Peter 4.9, show hospitality to one another. Romans 12.10, love one another. Hebrew 3.13, Exhort one another. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another. Romans 15.9, welcome one another. Pray with one another. Share your concerns with one another. I'm going to stop. There are 30 verses in the New Testament that I can record and talk about where they were encouraged to do stuff with one another. This just doesn't happen like... Psychic. It's not psychic. It's not, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to sit there. You know, we're sending good thoughts your way. We're going to support one another without being there. No, no, no. You've got to be there to support one another. You've got to be around one another to encourage one another. You've got to be around somebody to welcome them. Like, are we a church that encourages one another and shows hospitality and loves and exhorts one another? But sometimes we're so caught up in our own fellowship, our own bubbles, our own communities that were built up, that either the door is closed, we have, we have reached capacity in our communities that we can't just allow anybody else in. The inability for us to actually go and talk to new people, talk to somebody that you've never talked to, build relationships with them, go out to lunch with them after service. Man, that's, that's defunct. Why? Because we're satisfied with this group that we have and we're like, we just don't have real estate for more people. We don't have bandwidth for more people. See, God has called us to a Christianity that has unlimited bandwidth. He doesn't cap your bandwidth. He doesn't cap your, your data. He doesn't cap your ability to give unto others. See, that's a big misconception. The moment, you know, you're you, at home, you guys have Wi-Fi, and you know that once the number of, once the number of you know, devices have been reached, you're like, come on, get off some devices because we need some faster internet in this house. Some of y'all have, you reached that 20 gig mark on your phones, data has run out and you're going to 3G and you're so frustrated, but God does not give you data limits on your ability, your bandwidth to love on people. See, Christians have unlimited bandwidth. You love because he loved you first. 
Christians have the ability to reach out, to open your doors, to share, to be of blessing and resource. Like, think about it. They went from 120 to 3,000, and they still had the ability to pour out into every one of those thousands and thousands of people that were thronging into their congregation. Why? Because they didn't say, 120, this is our group. We're called to do life with one another. Like, who is your circle? Who are the ones around you? Who are the ones that you're allowing around you? See, whether you realize it or not, your life is a sum total of your five closest friends. The people around you, if you look at the people in your circle, man, and you don't, someone said this, if you look around in your, in your circle, the people in your circle, and you don't get inspired day after day, you don't have a circle, you have a cage. This is powerful, y'all. It, it is powerful to know that our circle has a big influence in our lives. See, church doesn't happen in rows. Church happens in circles. Community doesn't happen in rows. Community happens in circles. I know you have friends. I know you have family. I know you probably read, you're like, I don't have any more time in the week. But the Bible says they devoted time to fellow. Someone say devote time. Which means sometimes you got to take other stuff off. If it's, if it's too much on your schedule, move stuff around. And say, if I have to be a Christian and a believer, I have to devote time to what Jesus says is important. What God says is important. What the Bible says is important. I'm challenging the church this morning. Like I said, this is not a message that's going to make you jump out of your seats. But this is a challenging message that I want you to take to your heart. The third thing that they did was they broke bread. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Did you hear that? Like before the breaking of the bed, it said attending the temple together and it's not or. They didn't attend temple or break breads in their homes. Sunday morning attendance is important. Being in worship service together is important. I want to encourage you, church, that the waking up in the morning and feeling like going to church thing is not going to work out anymore. Using COVID as an ex, as an ex, is not going to work out anymore. Come on, am I talking to somebody? This is important. This is important for your discipleship. This is important that you wake up and say that the presence of God and being in community is important. And not just in the temple, but, but the temple was this 44-acre complex that involved Solomon's porch and the yards. And, and, and the other one was the informal setting at home. Like, like, am I talking to somebody? Like, there are two aspects of your, your community life. One is the Sunday morning expression, and then it's the Sunday to Sunday expression. They said they did both. Someone say both. It wasn't, an, it wasn't an and or, it was a and and. It was this and that. They had fellowship, they broke bread, they shared meals. They went to eat with each other. They had potlucks. Verse four, they prayed together. The mission of the church is to pray together. When that, what that means is we have to get together. Every time prayer is called upon, we have to get together and pray together. We have to pray for one another. You know, you know what I get tired of as a pastor? One statement that bothers me a lot from people that I pastor is this. I didn't want to bother you. You have too much on your plate. I didn't want to bother you. I didn't want to burden you. I don't get angry. I just get sad when I hear that. I get sad because, see, Scripture records so many times when hardships were shared between God's people. When Paul was downcast, God sent Titus to comfort him. When persecution scattered the church and men began to spread the gospel in Antioch, the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to disciple and exhort them and encourage them. 
When the church in Thessalonica was affected, afflicted, Paul sends Timothy to strengthen them and encourage them in their faith. And these examples make me wonder how many times I have missed God's provision in the form of a person I didn't want to burden. God, I want this, I want that. God, I want more community. But when God sends it your way, in different forms and different shapes, I don't want to burden you. Look at you. You have kids and you have the family and you have all of that stuff. But like, are we sending, like, like, are we sending those mixed signals where we are not approachable? And I want to encourage everybody here about that. And I, and I want to ask you, like, how many times have, have I begged God for comfort, then ignored the very person he sent to comfort me? I said, Lord, comfort me. And on a Sunday morning, when somebody came up to me and said, how are you doing? Genuinely, because probably God told them to come and ask me. I said, I am awesome. I am too blessed to be stressed. I am so anointed. I can fake. Stop being fake. Somebody, like, somebody was sent. Somebody did not want to, like, you have no idea that they stepped out of their comfort zone and the Holy Spirit probably prompted them. Some people don't even know that the Holy Spirit prompted them, but then they, they, they come up to you and they ask you. And, and in that moment, do not be fake. Do not be fake. Use that opportunity and don't say, I don't want to put my burdens on you. That's what God has called the church to, is bear each other's what? And if you have a problem with that, hey, I'm telling you, like, not, just not a commission church thing. Like, you don't call yourself the church. Stop calling yourself a Christian. If you have too much on your plate and you feel like bearing one another's burdens is way too much, stop calling yourself a Christian. Stop tagging Christ along with your identity because that's not who we are. Like, how many times have I asked God to provide and then refused a friend's generosity? In today's increasingly individualistic culture, we've forgotten the key to our Christian growth. We are supposed to be burdened. I am sorry to burst your bubble, but that's the truth. You are supposed to burden me, not because I'm your pastor, because I'm a Christian. Not because I'm, I preach on stage or I text you and I check. No, no, no. You are supposed to burden me because I am your brother in Christ and you are my sister in Christ. You are band-aided by God to give somebody five minutes of your day or 10 minutes of your week or 30 minutes of your lunch break. Why? Because you are a Christian. Not run away from brokenness. Not shun people that don't look or don't seem like you or don't, don't, not end. No, it's to run towards those people. Because Jesus said, I came for the brokenhearted. I came for the rejected. I came for the depressed. I came, and if you see people that are out of the ordinary and they don't look like you and they look like they need help, run towards them because God has picked you and chosen you for a time like that. Galatians 5, 2, 6, 2 says that bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law he's talking about? Love one another. Remember, they came up to Jesus and said, what is the greatest law? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your... And then he said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the law he's talking about. How do you fulfill that law? How do you show that you love one another? bear their burden. If they need help, go the extra mile and help them. Love on them. Show them the love of Jesus. See, the natural reading of this verse puts us as a subject, the one doing the burden bearing. But for this to be possible, there must be this recipient, the one that is burdened. And sometimes that recipient will be me and other times it'll be you. And by not sharing those burdens, we're literally hindering our brothers and sisters from doing what God is prompting them to do. Can I ask you to take a second? Take a second. If you have your Bibles open, just put your finger in between. Just close your Bibles for just a second. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to look around. This couldn't be probably the most awkward thing you'll do, but just, just look around for a few minutes. Just look at people around you. Just look at people. Just look at their faces. Smile at them. Just look at them. 
We're going to make this awkward. Come on. You think I'm going to stop? No, I'm not. Keep going. Look at them. By looking at them, how many burdens in this room were you aware of? Forget about just by looking at them. How many did you, how many people did you look at and you're like, man, I know that they're going through something. I, I really want this to be a heart check for us as a church. Because we can have great messages and sermons and we can have the amazing worship team lead us in a, wasn't that worship this morning so powerful? We can have all of that, y'all. We can have the most anointed people on staff. This church can be smelling good when you walk in. Bino and Jen can bring donuts every Sunday for all of us. All that can be awesome and great. But if we cannot bear one another's burdens, and if you don't know what your brother is going through or your sister is going through, might as well not come back here next Sunday. I don't see a point in it. And this is just be me being me, like honest truth, just putting it out there. Bearing one another's burdens is not pastor's responsibility. I do it. I do it. I, I do it as much as I can. And I sometimes fail and I sometimes lapse in it. But bearing one another's burden and caring for the church community is each of our responsibilities. And unless you're present and unless you say, I'm here, unless you show in your face that I am here, it's when I asked you to See if you know anybody in the room with burdens. If none, if none came to mind, there might be a problem. Because you can't bear a burden that you don't know of. I tell people all the time, I wish I knew that you were going through that. And I understand. You probably forgot to message me. You forgot to text me. You forgot to call me and let me know that you're going through that. And that happens. But that is why community is so important. There are times that people in this church have rushed to each other's side. And it brings me so much joy as a pastor. Even before I know about it, there are people that will rush to each other's side, to other, others' aid, even before I know it, because that is the community we're trying to build because it's not pastor caring for people, it's we caring for one another. The fifth thing is they shared resources. They shared resources. They sell their possessions. That's what the Bible says. They sold all their possessions. They shared with one another. They gave freely. Bearing someone else's burden can take many forms. Sometimes it's emotional support. It's a listening ear. It's financial help. It's maybe mediating a dispute. It might be completing a task. It might be looking at a caregiver at church and saying, hey, man, I'll give you a break with sitting there, loved ones, so that they can run an errand and go for a walk or meet with a friend for coffee. Sometimes it's to spend some time with a friend who's recently lost a family member, calling them on the phone, talking to them, chatting with them, seeing if you can serve them. And there are so many people in this church that do that excellently. When you send meals to other people, when you call in and check in on them, when you go to their homes and visit with them, when you just sit and listen and cry and comfort and pray, your presence speaks volumes. That is what the church needs to do Sunday between two Sundays. The number of times people in our church have come to us and babysat our young family so that we can enjoy a kid-free date night and not wanted one cent in return. Or do you know a single mom here at church who you could help around their house? Oh, bro, I, I don't know anybody like that. Maybe you don't know everybody in this church then. Maybe you don't know the brokenness. Maybe we're so involved in our own beautiful lives and what God is doing for us that we don't care about the brokenness around us. I want to finish this morning, but... See, developing community doesn't come naturally for me. As the opposite of what many of y'all might think, you might think I'm a big extrovert, but I'm an ambivert. I'm not an extrovert. 
And sometimes it's, it's difficult because I fear vulnerability, the thought of letting someone get to know me well enough to speak wisdom into my life without holding back hard truth to, to be, you know, to, enough for me to cringe sometimes. Like, that's hard for me. Even though I've grown a lot in the area, I'm telling you, it is super scary sometimes. The Bible says, and all their needs were met. Can we come to that place as a church where we know that every member of our church, every partner at our church, the person sitting next to you, their needs are met because you met their needs. Yeah, God will supply all the needs. Why? Sometimes it's through you. Have you spent enough time with them? Have you talked enough to them to know that they have needs or they don't have needs? Come on, am I talking to somebody? Six, seven, eight. Let me go through these. There was transformation. The mission of the church in between Sundays is transformation. The Bible says, and they were in awe of the signs and wonders of miracles that happened. The mission of the church is to make sure that we are an agent of transformation, that we are a house of transformation, that we are a well of transformation between the week, through the week. That's why we have midweek services. That's why we have pastoral care ministries. There are people in this church that counsel, that, that, that speak with people, that pour into people's lives. Why? Because we want to be a life-giving church. That's the mission of the church. That's why we do life groups, because we want to offer and bring up a place of transformation. You know the seventh thing? The Bible says they found favor in their community. You know what the mission of the Christian is? That we have to have a good reputation in our communities. It meant that their worship was consistent with their lifestyle. Or let me go the other way. Their lifestyle was consistent with their worship. They weren't somebody on Sunday and another person from on the rest of the week and go back to that other person on Sunday. Between Sundays, who are you? Point number eight, and then God gave them growth. Don't even ask about growth. You're wondering why your, your spiritual life is not growing? It's because you're not doing one to seven. You wonder why you're not growing spiritually? It's because of one to seven. Be available, be present, be involved with people's lives. Sometimes you got to force yourself into people's lives. You got to just stand there and you got to be like, you know what? I'm going to knock because God is asking me to be here for you in this season. Would you stand up with me, church? John, if you could help me out with the keys. Life group leaders, would you guys come up real quick? If you're leading a life group, come up real quick to the front. We want to pray for you guys. I know that there is a few more weeks before life group starting, but I want to bless these life group leaders, people that have taken time out of their schedules. They've opened up their homes. Come forward. I know there's not everyone here. There might be different people in the Sea Kids room, so on and so forth. But if you're here and if you're hosting a life group, please, please come up front. I'm going to give you guys a chance, actually, before praying for you. Tell them what your life group is about and see if they want to, you know, they're, they're interested. Well, now that he blew my bubble. <laughs> but anyway, my group is going to be focused on a comprehensive study of the Holy Spirit. And I really feel like that in this hour with God, with what God is wanting to do in our church, that we really need to learn more about him and to experience him as a person. That's, that's, the, that's one group that we have a Bible study. It's a deeper Bible study that, that Beverly is. My group is for single ladies, 18 and older. Um, we meet at my house in Saxe just to do life together. Um, and yeah, just have community with each other. <laughs> um, Jason and I are doing the married life group. Uh, we're doing the Plano location. Um, it's just for married people talking about <laughs> how to survive marriage. Um, <laughs> I, I think uh, we were really blessed from last year's uh, life group. So um, it, would, it doesn't matter how long you've been married for. I think it's a great opportunity to share experiences. You learn so much from other couple and just dive into word and have. They're co-leading. Um, Basant, would you come forward? Devia, if you're here, come forward. Uh, Basant and Devia um, led life groups 
for the last two years and uh, I've told them to take a break to lead all the life group leaders and uh, over all the life groups, they will be heading discipleship in this season. So we're gonna pray for them. We're gonna pray for this team. There are more people. They're just in different parts of the building right now. But would you stretch out your hands towards them as they get ready to lead our Sunday to Sunday groups uh, to get involved with community, to get you involved. If you are not signed up for a life group as yet, I'm going to ask them to put up the, the graphic and it's going to stay here for the rest of the service. I want you to avail of the opportunity. Scan the QR code. Get connected to a life group. This is important for your discipleship. And this is what God wants out of us. And I showed it to you through the word. That's important. Father, I thank you for this moment, God. I thank you for this moment. I thank you, Lord, for each one of these group leaders that have signed up. And I know it's going to be a crazy ride, but I bless them, Lord. I bless them in the name of Jesus. As they get ready, God, to lead their groups, as they get ready to pour out into people, as they get ready to pour out into married folks and just do life with one another, it's not because they're experts in, their, in, 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 the, in the particular life group they're leading. It's not because they have the best marriage or because they have the best Christian young single life or it's not because, Lord, they are well-versed in the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit is fully residing. None of that, Lord. Not because, Lord, that, that, that each of these people are, 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 are different from all other people, but they have agreed to step in and said, we will facilitate. We will open our homes. We will feed people. We will be a blessing to them. And for that, I bless them. And I ask that you bless them. I ask that your anointing will be upon them. The special anointing they need to lead their groups. I pray that you will equip them in the middle of fears, in the middle of insecurities, in the middle of them thinking that they can't do it. I pray, God, that your strength will be upon them. All glory and honor be unto you. Lord, I bless the church in this season. I pray, God, that you will speak to our hearts. And this message of encouragement that you put on my heart to share with the church, I pray God that between Sundays that we will be Christians. They will know us by our name. They will know us because we are Christ followers that pursue you, that love you, that love our community, that loves one another and because we are called to bear one another's burdens and pray for one another. Father, we thank you because you are creating a community here, a community of believers that deeply care and deeply want to be invested in people's lives. So we thank you for what you've done and what you're going to do. Our glory and honor be unto you. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Church, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance your direction. And may he give you peace that passeth all understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.